Well, I am really glad uh, to be here. I, I do want to thank, um, in the last month, uh, we had three different guest speakers, um, and I heard, I mean, I was here each week too, but I heard excellent feedback. Uh, it actually gave me a little bandwidth um, to have them speak, plus we really value having other voices speak at Hope, so it's not just dependent on you know one speaker, one person at all, which it's never that way here uh, at, at our church. We don't want it to be that way. Um, I love to speak and preach and teach, so you're going to be stuck with me a little more frequently, but thank you to uh, Brandon Hodge last week, Katie Asaza, our missionary the week before that, and Aaron Amos Mackey the first week in September. They have put the bar up nice and high, so Lord help me, Jesus. All right. So um, I want to start today now, though, by asking a few questions. I'm, I'm meddling, I'll admit it right away. But who, number one, who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? And the next question, I want you to think about, well, why is that person? Why would you say they're your enemy? Why? Why would they be an enemy in your life and your story? And then the last question I want to ask is maybe the tricky one. Um, how, how do you treat that person who is your enemy. See, all three of those questions, I believe, are matters of concern that Jesus wants us, if you're a follower of Jesus, to, to look at. Um, I guess he would love it if everybody would look at that, but especially if we're followers of Jesus, he wants us to pay attention to this, and so it's amazing how through the scriptures and especially the Gospels and the New Testament, this theme kind of weaves its way back and forth into so many of his teachings and stories, um, because once we name who our enemy is, and then we look at why someone is our enemy, and by the way, sometimes I think we have very good reasons for labeling someone an enemy, right? They, they wronged us, they hurt us, they lied about us, or to us, or betrayed us, or let us down, so therefore they are an enemy. It's a label that makes sense, um, but that's why I come to that third question, because the trickiest one, at least for me, and most of the people I do life with, um, the, the third one is the, the tricky one. How is it that we treat our enemies? If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to you. If you're not, you're off the hook today. You just get to listen to this. Um, but, but when I think about how it is that I treat my enemies, it's, it's like, what are the things that I wish would happen to them? Maybe to, if I had to get really honest, to punish them or make them pay for wronging me, because um, enemies, man, sometimes you get so fixated on how badly I want that person to pay or hurt that, that I, would, I would harm myself a little bit uh, just to make sure that they paid, honestly, um, which uh, brings us to this little story of two guys, they get lost in the desert, um, and they happen to be arch enemies, so guy number one says, it's all your fault, and no, no, guy number two says, it's all your fault, your fault, and, and then... Suddenly, guy number one finds a genie lamp. <laughs> you know the genie lamp, right? I think you rub them, right? And then, and then the genie appears, and the genie says, I can grant each of you one wish. And guy number one says, okay, fine. Um, he gets a wish too. Uh, I found you, but uh, fine. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, here. I want double of whatever he gets. <laughs> I want double of what guy number two gets. Jeannie says, very well. And what is your wish, guy number two? Guy number two grins and says, I want to be beaten half to death. 
sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. If you didn't get that one, just wait for it or ask somebody later. Okay. <laughs> but again, how is it that we treat our enemies? And sometimes, are we willing to treat our enemies in a way that actually would bring harm to me just to make sure that they pay for what they've done to punish them? <sighs> And I just think that's such a tricky question that reveals a lot, at least in my heart, because as followers of Jesus, um, Jesus has a lot to say about how we treat our enemies. In fact, most of what Jesus says about how we treat our enemies uh, goes against what our normal, natural, fleshly instincts would just be drawn or gravitate towards. Um, most of the ways we treat our enemy that Jesus teaches about uh, goes directly against how the systems and structures of our world would teach us to treat an enemy. Which brings us into our current series, which we're going to fill, uh, fill, fill up, finish up. Uh, we're going to finish up our series next week, and the series is um, Love Your, and it's fill-in-the-blank, Neighbor, and we've been looking at uh, different ways to fill in the kinds of neighbors we have, your actual neighbor, your global neighbor. Uh, Brandon talked last week about your ethnically other neighbor. We talked about your difficult neighbor, um, and we've each week been looking at this radical parable that Jesus told 2,000 years ago that we today know as the Good Samaritan. And that, even if you've never heard the story, you've probably heard that word or the language of Samaritan. Because uh, today, um, the word Samaritan has turned into a good thing. Today, we hear Samaritan and we go, oh, that's somebody who cares, who's kind and compassionate, loving and helpful. That's today what we see. And that's thanks to the parable that Jesus told they got labeled later the Good Samaritan. Um, we even have Good Samaritan laws that have been passed and called that uh, to make sure that when somebody tries to do something good, tries to help, but they don't get punished if they do their best to help and it backfires or doesn't work out because people were starting to be afraid in our, I know this is hard to believe that someone would sue you for trying to help, but people were starting to be afraid. I can't really help because then I'm liable and so we passed Good Samaritan laws because the name Samaritan, that word, is something good. We have Good Samaritan hospitals. We have nonprofits named after Samaritan. And it's something good. But we have to remember that the word Samaritan was not good. It wasn't that way before Jesus came. Um, and if you've been with us in the series, you know we've talked and explained why Samaritans were so hated back then, and that this Samaritan term originally was this racial insult because the Samaritans were the hated arch enemies of the Jewish people. So when Jesus first tells this story that we've been looking at, the Good Samaritan, and I'm only going to kind of summarize it in case you haven't been with us, but, but it's in Luke chapter 10. And how it starts as this religious lawyer guy shows up to test Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, essentially, um, what do I got to do, you know, to measure up and experience eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and asks him a question. He goes, well, you know, you're a smart guy. How would you answer that question? And the lawyer tells Jesus that, you know, he actually answers Jesus with this thing. And if we can follow me along with the verse 27, there we keep going, the next one, there we go. Um, and the lawyer says, well, and this, he heard Jesus actually tell, tell this before, uh, says, oh, love, love the Lord, your God. This is Jesus' own teaching he's thrown back in him. With all your heart and mind and all your soul and strength and 
and love and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in the next verse here, the guy tries to kind of get himself off the hook um, and excuse himself for not loving his neighbor. And um, Jesus says, and by asking Jesus the question, he goes, well, okay, fine, Jesus, then who is my neighbor? And then the next verse here, we see and hear this story, this parable of the Good Samaritan, where a, where a guy gets attacked by robbers, and then the first two people that come alongside don't even stop to help, even though they're these religious, respected, elite dudes. But then the third guy stops to help. The third guy, we read, goes above and beyond in showing compassion. And suddenly, the hero of this story was not the average Joe, the average Jewish character. That's often what happened in Jesus' stories. The hero was the regular dude or dudette. Um, The hero in this particular story, the hero was actually a person who was an enemy, a hated Samaritan. And then... Think about this, that that hated Samaritan in verse 36 and 37, that hated Samaritan gets held up, not as a despised person for people to look down on, but as a hero to emulate, held up as a role model. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Like the bad guy, go do likewise, says Jesus, which did not sit real well with folks. When you make an enemy a hero. And just so it's not lost on us, think about this. It was probably as shocking or more shocking, like if you imagine being the people Jesus is first telling this story to 2,000 years ago. It's very shocking in their moment that Jesus stretches that definition of neighbor, the neighbor that you're supposed to love, From just the people like us, that's our neighbors. It even says so kind of, maybe sort of in Leviticus. Jesus takes that definition and expands it all the way out to include your enemy. Jesus is saying, love your enemy, neighbor. Now, if you know the Gospels, if you know the teachings of Jesus... This was not the first time that Jesus talked about how it is that God wants us to treat our enemies. This is not the only place that Jesus had challenged how we naturally, normally treat people that we would think of as our enemies. Uh, Elsewhere, Jesus had also already been pretty provocative. Like in Matthew chapter 5, just one example, when he said really, buckle up here, really crazy things like, Verse 44, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And by the way, lots of us hear that, but we miss that next verse. Here's the next verse. In that way, loving our enemies, praying for people who persecute us. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Like, you see, you see how that works right there? It says, God's True children show the family resemblance. We look like our father when we love who? That's hard to say. When we love who? Our enemies, says Jesus. Again, 
Imagine being his people in the room, what his listeners had to be thinking. Love your, your enemies. What kind, of, what kind of crazy talk is this? Everybody knows we help our friends. We punish our enemies. We don't love our enemies. It's not, it's not natural. It's, it's, it's not human nature to do that. The, the strength you'd have to have to do something like loving your enemies would require something divine. I mean, come on. Jesus, to love your enemies. Jesus, what, what, what are you thinking? But he never backs down. He keeps repeating this teaching over and over. He calls us to love our neighbor in this story, even when your neighbor is your enemy. I remember hearing it said um, that of all of Jesus' teachings, loving our enemies is the most famous and the most violated. <laughs> Anyone? Does that resonate, right? Most famous teaching and the most violated. But let's be real. Um, as Bob Goff says, Jesus never said doing these things would be easy. He just said it would work. <laughs> he didn't say it'd be easy. He did say it would work. Maybe the reason I don't see it in my life the way I wish I would is because I don't try it so often. Can't see it work if I'm not trying it, but he did say it would work. There's a story that happened in Minneapolis back in 1993. Uh, and in 93, just by the way, I was... I was around. I remember these things. Um, I was back then in Bible college, and to pay the bills, I drove taxi cab, lots of late nights. I would come across roads and neighborhoods kind of blocked off, and especially some of the tougher neighborhoods, if somebody had, you know, there'd been some kind of crime committed or somebody had been killed, and so the police lights are kind of cordoning everything off, and uh, Minneapolis, especially in those days, like had just um, all these dangerous areas and there were so many murders um, that our fair, lovely city of the nice people of Minneapolis got nicknamed Murderapolis. <laughs> Put that on your license plate. I don't think we sold a lot of t-shirts uh, uh, of that one. But, um, but one of those murders, uh, and, and there were, I can't remember, it was over 90, I think, in that year. 80 or 90 murders in a city that really itself is 350,000, probably even smaller at that time. So not as big as like a Phoenix or a um, New York uh, or a Chicago. Um, but one of those murders in 1993 uh, happened to the son of a woman that we're about to meet here on video. Her name's Mary Johnson. Let's, um, let's watch this. Lorraine was at an after-hour party. There was a verbal confrontation. There was gunshots. And... Loramian was laying on the floor, and a young man was standing over Loramian, pointing the gun at his head. He yelled, don't do it, and the trigger was pulled. I'm the person that murdered her son. I got a call from the detectives, and he was telling me that they had picked up the young man that murdered my son, the boy that had murdered him, and that he was 16 years old. Someone gave me up, told him where I was, where I would be at, and that's how I was apprehended a couple days later. The judge pronounced a 25 and a half year sentence. I wanted life. I felt he deserved life. 
I'm a Christian woman. And I was a Christian woman full of anger and hate. She reached out to me for a project called Restorative Justice. I decided to take responsibility for my actions. Let her know what happened, why it happened, and you know, to try to help her get closure. You know, I'm not going to visit that 16-year-old boy. He is a man now. And we'll come back to their story in a bit, but just right there, Mary, um, this mom whose son was murdered, just noticed she had said, I I'm, I'm a Christian woman. But she noticed I'm full of anger and hate, which she knew was not how she wanted to live. And she knew as a follower of Jesus, how Jesus, what he said about how we were to treat our enemies, which finally, and it took time, 12 years, caused her to go and face her enemy to see if she could be free of that hate. Um, <laughs> it's almost... Like she knew, and she did know, she actually trusted that Jesus never said loving our enemy would be easy. He just said it would work. And after 12 years, she took that next step towards trusting what Jesus said. Kind of takes some of the excuses away from me for some of the people that I... <laughs> make reasons for not talking to enemies that we're just going to keep over there when I see courage like this. And listen, you know, I know, like when you're just reading through scripture, like it sounds like a sign on the wall and Jesus says something outlandish like loving our enemies, it can sound trite, it can sound like a cliche. The problem is um, when we realize, when we claim to follow Jesus and then realize that we have to apply his teachings to an actual enemy, that's where it gets tricky, doesn't it? Oof, that little cliche now has to be put into action, and that is not easy for followers of Jesus. And by the way, are there, are there followers of Jesus here this morning? Just raise your hand so I can know how many followers you got. Follower Jesus in the room? Okay, we had an elder in the other service that was not, so we're concerned about that. But this, um, <clears throat> just kidding, just kidding. Um, so, specifically followers of Jesus, here's the question. Who is your enemy? Who's your enemy? And some of us, bang, we can just be honest enough to name those enemies right away, which is a good start. Um, but... I've been around people for a while, and I know myself, um, so I imagine, I mean, not in our church, of course, but, you know, in other churches, that some Christians might be good at, you know, lying to themselves and saying that we have no enemies, right? Um, read a story about a pastor who was preaching on this very thing, loving your enemies, and at the end of the sermon, the pastor just asked everyone, all right, so will you now go out into your world, and will you love your enemies this week? If you will, just everyone raise your hand, and everybody was inspired. They all raised their hand in the room, except for one hand, and it was a little old lady in the front row, um, which tells you it wasn't our church, because our little old ladies never sit in the front row. Um, so, <laughs> I should not have said that, show, right? But, but 
He sees her. He asks the woman, um, hey, why can't, why can't you love your enemies? And the little old lady said, because, pastor, I can honestly say that I have no enemies. The pastor says, wow, that's amazing. Can I ask how old you are? And she said, I'm 96. Pastor said, 96 years old and no enemies. That's an incredible example. What, what devotion to Christ. Oh, it's amazing. Can, could you just tell us, all of us, how is it that you have no enemies? And the little old lady yelled out, I outlived them and every single one of those are dead finally. <laughs> Which is one way to do it, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> See, the truth is all of us have people in our life who are difficult to love, and it doesn't take long for a difficult neighbor to become an enemy neighbor to then just become a flat-out enemy. Um, in fact, um, when I was working on this message uh, a few days ago, I kind of got stuck, wasn't sure which direction to go. I had all this, what should I do next on this? Uh, and, and, and in that moment, actually, I felt like the Holy Spirit kind of nudged me to stop and to journal on those three questions that we started us with. Doug, who is your enemy? And why are they your enemy? And how do you treat your enemy? Doug, I want you to just stop, and I want you to journal about it. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a great question. Thank you, God. That's awesome. You know, that'll help. I'll get unstuck, I'm sure. And I got a phone call, and I got off doing something else, and I looked at my watch. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to get to the office. And I took off. Didn't do it. Didn't do it at all. Um, and I didn't do that day. I didn't do it the next day or the next day. And when I was stuck, <laughs> surprise, yesterday, uh, still trying to figure some stuff out, I remembered the invitation, and I finally did that. And here's just part of what I wrote in some of what I wrote in my journal. Um, I wrote, like many good Christians, I might hear Jesus' call to love your enemies, followed by the question, Doug, who is your enemy? And instantly reply with, you know, the good Christian answer, which is what, you know, me? I don't have any enemies, right? Good Christians know we can't call ourselves followers of Jesus and treat people like enemies, and I have, so I have no enemies, which, by the way, that might be true for, you know, some of you older, wiser, mature saints in the room, um, although I have found often that some of those wiser folks um, are far too wise to claim that they have no struggle when it comes to dealing with enemies in your life. Um, but maybe for a couple of you, it's true that you have no enemies, but for the rest of us, especially me, um, when we get honest, we have to admit that that whether we would label someone our enemy or not, there are still people who fit the bill, and we treat that way. So back to my journaling here. I wrote, for me, too often my behavior and attitudes towards others expose who I treat as an enemy, even if I wouldn't call them an enemy. And it ranges from those who have deeply hurt and wronged me, and there are some of those, and those jump up pretty quick, Oh, yeah, I treat them like enemies. Too honestly and sadly, I sometimes realize that I even treat as enemies those who oppose me, um, disagree with me. Maybe they're just irritating or they want to argue or complain about things that don't really matter. And when I take a closer look, even at those minor things, in my irritations, I have to confess that I treat them as an opponent to be marginalized, ignored, discredited, minimized, 
And in short, um, my actions and my attitudes, even if I wouldn't label them enemy, betray that I see and treat them as an enemy. And then I wrote, it doesn't take long, though, to see that these are also the people that Jesus wants me to approach differently. So whether that disagreement actually is about something that matters or if it's trivial and an irritation, doesn't matter. I desire to be transformed so that I stop treating them or thinking of them as if they are my enemies. And that's all you get from my journal this week, so (laughs) we'll stop right on that. Um, But I I wrestle with this, so I'm not coming at like, I've got this all solved, I've got it all down. I'm on the journey. We're on the journey here at Hope together. And one way or another, I think it's fair to say that we all have enemies from the spectrum of just simply annoying to kind of difficult all the way to the serious kind of enemy who has caused deep hurt or harm like the mom experienced in that video, Mary Johnson. And next week, by the way, we're going to take our last look in this series at, at people that we see as enemies because they are our opponents or we disagree Um, But I wanted to hone the rest of our time this morning, the little bit that we have here, and look at this enemy, um, the people who have harmed and hurt us, right? Those over here on the very harmful side who who actually kind of owe us, or we would like to get payback and some sort of revenge, because you don't have to live too long before you encounter an enemy like that in your journey. It's common to all. These people, right? Think of it. And you probably maybe even have somebody popping up in your mind, the person that you want to get back at to get even. And if we look back at the Old Testament, uh, the law of Moses actually told the people of God how to deal with those kinds of offenses and harms, right? Somebody harms you, somebody hurts you. I kind of like this verse. Some people would make it their favorite verse or even their life verse. The law says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? (laughs) Actually, we're going to read the whole verse because you've heard, many of you have heard that before, right? It comes from Exodus 21. We'll start in verse 23, although the whole chapter is quite a doozy. Um, The punishment must match the injury, a life for a life, an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. But let's back up and get the context. Again, this is 1,500 years before Jesus comes and teaches something different that some of you are going, wait a minute, right? We'll get there. But when this came on the scene 1,500 years before Jesus in that ancient culture, this was actually an improvement so, so in the days before this was given uh, in the law of Moses, in what we call the Old Testament, back then in the ancient world, here's how it worked. People would go, hey, listen, I lost my eye because of you. Well, then I'm going to take both of your eyes, you know, because I don't get even. I get, anyone? A head. I get a head. Am I the only one that had that motto in high school, right? I don't get even. <laughs> I get ahead. I really did. We did have that motto in high school when it came to pranks, which is a pretty good motto, I think, for pranks, right? Like, you want to TP toilet paper my house or one of my close friends' house? Fine. Then if you do that, just know we will get ahead. We're going to hit your house with 200 rolls of toilet paper. And then when they dared to try to 
do it back to us again. We upped it, we doubled it again. This time we actually found a toilet, have no idea where we got it, and we put it, boom, right in their yard. Not just toilet paper, but the toilet too, with some interesting decorations, right? We were gonna get ahead, or, or um, somebody stole some election signs, they thought it'd be a real funny prank to kind of put them in our yard, knowing that our family and our, especially my parents, were not uh, in favor of those candidates that were in there. And they had a few signs, they thought it was a funny prank. So we, of course, gonna get ahead, we stole, and I'm underestimating, 50, wait, statute of limitations. Okay, I'm good. Um, we stole 50 election signs um, and just put it in their yard because I don't get even, <laughs> I get ahead. That's how it worked, which is, you know, I still think a pretty good idea for pranks. Anyone with me on that, anybody, no? See, don't prank me. Okay, there we go. It's, um... <laughs> but, but it's kind of along the lines of this back in ancient days. Somebody gets wronged, it's similar, right? We're gonna up the ante, right? We're gonna teach people a lesson. I don't get even, I get ahead. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you worse just to teach you don't ever try to hurt me again, right? If I lose a finger, you better believe that I'm gonna take your hand and that kind of escalation would go back and forth. You're gonna take my hand. Well, fine, then to get back at you, I'm taking your arm. Oh, you're taking my arm? Finally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut off both of your arms, both of your arms, uh, and just escalates. In fact, it's kind of the way, not even kind of, it is the way that some politicians here in the USA and around the world operate today. And actually what's sad is that it looks like it works and people cave into it, the bully gets their way. But whether or not it works, it is the exact opposite of the way of Jesus. And it leads to an exact opposite way than the kingdom of God would invite us into. See, that's the cultures of the ancient world and it still exists in our world. I don't get even, I get ahead. So, when we finally arrive here at Exodus 21, um, when this is now brought as the new standard, the new law to, to say, for Moses to say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is acceptable, that's why this was an improvement. It was progress, because back then, getting even was justice, and people thought, well, that's still not gonna work, right? What, only an eye for an eye? That's ridiculous, that's unreasonably soft. But hey, listen, this was an improvement on their escalating culture. So then, again now, from here, go 1,500-ish years toward Jesus' arrival, and Jesus comes and build, brings fulfillment to the law. He brings clarity to the heart behind the law Right when he says, and this, this statement I'm about to read is right before he says this crazy love your enemies things. Jesus says in verse 38 of Matthew 5, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, they were like, oh yeah, we've heard that. But I tell you, says Jesus, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, for today's purposes, we won't go into how, okay, this does not mean we're passive. This does not mean we just let people abuse us. We don't have time to go into that today. But for today's purpose, um, we just, uh, at its face, Jesus is saying, hey guys, listen, listen, no, getting even, eye for an eye, it's not gonna give us the kind of world that I offer in the story that I've come to bring about here on earth. Because we all know if everybody keeps doing an eye for an eye, it's not gonna be long before the whole world is walking around blind. 
And when Jesus invites us to follow him, he knows that when, when we, when God's people do follow him and we do trust that the way of Jesus is our world's only way to effectively counter evil and hatred and that what it needs to look like is more like this turning the other cheek. Yes, it means that. But then Jesus says, hear what I'm calling you to. I want my people to live this way, to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. Blew their minds. And if we're honest, it blows our mind too. We really grapple with this. It is mind-blowing. See, Jesus is announcing a new way, a new kingdom, his way, his rule, his reign. And if we want to follow Jesus, we don't get to get ahead anymore. You don't get to get even either. We, friends, have to begin to believe and trust that the only thing that will bring about the change needed in our broken world is not politics and political parties and all of that stuff that that we have so easily identified ourselves with rather than the way of Jesus or tried to make Jesus look like the way that we're choosing here. No, 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 no. The only thing that's gonna bring about the change needed in our broken world and the change needed in our broken hearts is this radical way of the kingdom of God. And in the way of the kingdom of God, if we're actually following Jesus, we're not supposed to just tolerate our enemies. We're not called to just accept or put up with our enemies. Jesus calls us to do the impossible, to love our enemies, which is impossible indeed, except for two things. One, Jesus is going to demonstrate what it means to love your enemies by laying down his life for his enemies when he goes to the cross. So he's gonna demonstrate it. And two, he's going to put his Holy Spirit within his followers so that we can do what he commands. Suddenly, with those two things, this impossible teaching of Jesus to love our enemies, it's not impossible because all things are possible since he is within us. So if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, it's actually already in your new nature in Christ. It's already in you. The truest thing about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is not that you know revenge thing that we all struggle with. The truest thing about you is not that scheming, plotting, get even or get ahead mindset that has permeated the whole human race. No, no, no. The truest reflection of Christ in you is that he will enable you to do the impossible to love your enemies. Wonder what would happen if we all tried it. Let's go back to the story of Mary Johnson, the mom whose son was murdered. Just to check out the video again here. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. 
In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience so of one. All you've done for me. Yeah. There's the power of a disciple, a follower of Jesus who trusts in what he says, puts it into action, and the story that results. In fact, that was 2011, soon after he had gotten out, and these two have continued to speak together, to do ministry together, and eventually um, they, they, they were in rental situations, so they don't actually live next to each other right now, but just a couple of years ago, Mary got remarried, and she um, says of, of, of O'Shea, he's a son to me. In fact, she had him walk her down the aisle. And I think of the people <clears throat> that I treat as enemies who did hurt badly. And I see that kind of an example of a follower of Jesus, and I want to do that. I want to do that. You know, Heidi and I watched this, um, uh, and she said after watching this, Heidi's, my wife's comment was, love makes your enemy family. That's what God's people do. 
That's what God's people do. Love your enemies, says Jesus. And just like the people listening to him back then, we say, oh, come on, that's impossible. But for someone like Mary Johnson, it was possible because she did trust that the Jesus she knew, the Jesus she followed, could be trusted to point her a better way. She began to be willing not just to forgive, which is huge enough, but to love like Jesus loved. In fact, I was reading the YouTube comments and there was a guy that said something like, I'm an atheist, but this woman's story, um, her love, her strength caused me to wonder if maybe Christianity might be real. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Even the neighbor who acts like your enemy, love your enemy neighbor, trust me, says Jesus. It'll work, it'll work. So the question is so do you do you have an enemy who's hurt you in one way or another be the first question and then what would it look like to free that person and then more than just forgive and free what would it then look like to love them and i'm not saying this is easy this takes a long time it's a journey i mean mary here it took her 12 years just to make the next step And I'm not saying, by the way, that people who violate your boundaries or abuse you are supposed to be able to continue abusing you. I'm not talking about that at all. Jesus never commanded us to pretend to trust someone who's untrustworthy. But too many times when we realize that, okay, it's okay to draw boundaries, we neglect this one important part that Jesus still calls us to love. Like, I'm called to love the repentant person who hurt me, like O'Shea was repentant there. I'm called to love that repentant person, but I'm also called to love the unrepentant person who hurt me. So who's that person who wronged you, offended you, um, maybe even slandered you, harmed you, hurt you? I quickly have people that come to mind, would-be enemies who lied about me, slandered me, caused me harm, with people that were close to me and important to me. Um, And I still ask myself, as soon as those faces or names come to mind, we get to ask, you know, what's it look like to demonstrate love to my enemy? Not just to forgive, even though that's a process and needs to happen and takes a while. But to take Jesus seriously, take him at his word, and then to love. See, it's difficult, isn't it? but apparently it's not impossible. See, it's what Jesus enables us to do as his followers. The father heart of God inside of us that he's placed in us allows us to display this unimaginable beauty of forgiving in a way that brings change to our broken hearts, but to our broken world. And it comes no other way, but through that kind of love. Can you imagine what our world will look like, how our world will change when the world sees us followers of Jesus instead of reacting and demanding our rights, followers of Jesus who choose to love and forgive. Again, this powerful story just uh, that we've looked at of Mary and O'Shea, there's this beautiful reality of what it means to follow Jesus and trust he knows what he's talking about, that there is a way to freedom and wholeness for all of us.
And it is possible because a long time ago, there was a man who said and taught and demonstrated, love your neighbor and love your enemy. And an enemy could now become a neighbor and a neighbor could become family. And when that happens, the cycles of hurt and harm and revenge get broken and our world gets changed. That's what God's people do. This is family. That's what we do. And our world and ourselves will change the more we trust this teaching of Jesus. And remember, though, as we move into this, remember, Jesus never said doing these things would be easy. He just said, he just said it would work. <laughs>